Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go out and we check out a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today we have Netflix 145th film. It's the 2019 period crime drama, The Highwaymen. This is directed by John Lee Hancock. It stars Kevin Costner, Woody Harrelson, Kathy Bates, John Carroll Lynch, Kim Dickens, Thomas Mann, and Will Sadler. I'm Jesse, and I am back, back, back with MJ. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I will. I wasn't there last week when when I said I would be, and I wasn't. And you did a film without me. And congratulations for cracking on without me. But I am back, and I feel good to be back. And this is an exciting film to talk about. Yeah, I wouldn't be uh, too stressed uh, for those that listened to last week. I wouldn't be too stressed about missing that one. But that, that, <laughs> this is a good one to jump. jump <laughs> this is a good one to jump back into. I think so. Um, yeah, very. It worked very out nicely. Good. All right. We, we do start our show with our fast flicks where we do a quick summary of the film. So what, what's your go for this one? Uh, for the highway men, we've got a couple of retired rangers who are hired by the law, but playing by their own rules, set out to end the rampage of Bonnie and Clyde. Excellent. Yes. So um, for me, it's literally a retelling of those trying to hunt down Bonnie and Clyde. Same movie. Good. I'm glad. Um, you know what? I prefer both of our fast flicks than what I saw on IMDb. And I don't know, we're going to go into all this, but I'm not overly familiar with the Bonnie and Clyde story. And I didn't, I, I knew that this was about Bonnie and Clyde, but when I looked at IMDb, it just, the plot line is something like, you know, that these are the two people who killed Bonnie and Clyde. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, I figured that's what was going to happen in the movie, but now I know for sure. Uh, so you're like, oh, okay. I get it now because I was like, oh, that was very similar to what I said. But then I guess the keyword there is uh, die. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is like there, the guys who actually killed them. It's like, ah, oh, well, yeah, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. There you go. Sorry, we've ruined this for anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen it as well. Um, but if you did want to watch this one, go back um, now and have a look before um, we get into this a little bit more, too, I guess. And I've been hanging oh, out. I feel terrible. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm talking about how the IMDb spoiled it for me and I spoiled it for anybody, but I'm sure most people knew that was the case anyway. Maybe I was just a little bit behind, but either way, I do apologize to anyone who I've just spoiled it. Uh, all good. I have been hanging out um, for your update now on how this was put together, how this was made, because I know you're going to do a very good job with this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> around, um, around 2005, Casey Silver, who's a producer, began to develop the Highwaymen in general. Um, there was an original pitch from John Fusco that once had Paul Newman and Robert Redford, who were poised to play uh, the two Texas Rangers, um, who put an end to Bonnie and Clyde. And basically, this project was a long-time goal of John Fusco. He wanted to portray uh, basically Frank Hamer's story in the proper light of history, um, rather than, from what I can gather, again, not being a Bonnie and Clyde aficionado, that in a lot of the stories, Bonnie and Clyde are glamorized a lot more than the people who actually took Bonnie and Clyde down. So he wanted to sort of show it from the other side and, and potentially maybe show what actually happened a little bit more than what was being shown previously. So he researched extensively, became friends with um, Frank Hamer Jr., uh, and by 2013, this project was under development at Universal. Um, but by 2017, that's when Netflix came on board uh, in negotiations to extricate this project, project from Universal Pictures. And, and on February 12, 2018, it was announced that Netflix um, had actually entered production with this film. Um, 
and it wasn't that exciting of a shoot, really. I think the one thing that I found most interesting was that, and again, we've done our spoiler alert, but the um, the filming for the the filming for the scene where Bonnie and Clyde uh, ended up getting killed was actually shot on Highway 154 or 154, I'm sure it's probably called. Um, basically, they had to recreate that scene because it's now an asphalt two-lane highway, but the film crew basically planted trees along the right, uh, along one side and added dirt to cover up the, um, the blacktop road. But basically, you know, Kevin Costner sort of spoke about how eerie it was that when he was standing there shooting that scene that he's basically looking down the hill at where Bonnie and Clyde were coming up and they were, you know, not knowing that they were mere minutes away from from getting killed, and it was kind of cool that they um they shot it there. So, the film premiered at um, South by Southwest Festival on the tenth of March uh, in Texas, twenty nineteen. Uh, it then had a very limited theatrical release on the fifteenth of March, uh, and then it began to stream on Netflix on the twenty ninth of March. So. Uh, within the first month, Netflix was happy to beat their chest and tell everybody that uh, 40 million households had watched The Highwaymen during its first month of release. So uh, if those numbers are accurate, it's, a, it's an insane number. Yeah, I think um, you've done that so well. And I, as usual, I love it when you, you put together the thoughts because I looked at how much content there was about the making of this one and I was like, this is overwhelming. And I knew that you were going to put it together so succinctly. So, succinctly. <laughs> um, so I do appreciate that because I think, um, yeah, you've, you've touched on everything that you can possibly think about. And I guess that and you mentioned this before, the, a lot of the other Bonnie and Clyde things that we do see on the screen um, the they do focus more on Bonnie and Clyde and the I guess something about this one too was in in previous work these um highwaymen have been sort of portrayed as incompetent sort of um you know not very good at their job and um you know there was actually a, a civil case from the wife Gladys who we do see in this film about you know um you know, it's inappropriate to to portray you know real life people in ways that you know aren't necessarily true. So I did, and I'm trying not to get into too much early stuff here, but I think that yeah. that's an important thing to bring up with where I'm going to head later on when I when I talk about it a little bit more. I think, um, and they did settle out of court with Warner Brothers, um, okay. and you know that that mention of that recreating that that final scene, and that's such a, a memorable scene of this film too, and, and it's, it's something that's stuck in the the American populace. I guess the the population know that scene so well. Um, I think oh, there just a, a fact about the actual time. I think was at the time of the ambush, there was like $26,000 worth of reward pledges that have been put together. Um, and when they tried to collect on those pledges for actually capturing these people, um, you know, the, in the end, each of those involved only got 200 bucks each, um, which isn't a lot of money. Um, but when you think about it, um, everyone that was involved actually, you know, comes here and go, yeah, I, I, helped, say, I yeah. helped, I helped, I helped, yeah. I helped. Um, and sure. yeah. And I think that one of the things too, I think was that um, Hamer, yeah, actually kept a lot of those guns that he, we see in the film that he, he stocks his car up with too in real life. So that was a, that's a cool little thing too. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned in the production, like um, Kevin Costner was offered this role 10 years earlier and he thought he was too young to do it. So um, when they came back to him, he's like, you know, I've, I'll, I'll put on an extra 15 pounds, I think it was. And he's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make myself look extra old and I'm ready to take this on. So it was nice seeing Kevin Costner in, in, a, in a role that was a, that was still a hero role, but not necessarily a, a young. I'm so used to yeah. seeing those 80s and 90s movies with him um, where, where he's a lot more um, fit, I guess. Um, last thing. I guess, I, but with that said, though, I would have, I love the idea of Paul Newman and Robert Redford 
yeah. basically like reprising Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid to chase down Bonnie and Clyde. That would have been, I guess, maybe overly romanticized. It would have been cool, but I, I agree. Kevin Costner as an old badass works so well. I think the only reason it, that didn't happen was because Paul, Paul Newman passed away, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, yeah, it could, it could have been. Um, last thing I'll, I'll touch on, um, <laughs> the titles across the world. This, this, is, uh, this is a good one. So they all fit in really well. Brazil is called Lawless Road. So leads to that, you know, that, that highwayman sort of idea. Bulgaria, it's called Men Above the Law. Um, Greece and Italy, it's called The Final Ambush. So that sort of gives a bit of a spoiler, I guess, in that title. Um, <laughs> in Vietnam, it's called The Highway Squad. And finally, in Taiwan, it's called Mad Road. So I don't know whether they're trying to look at a Mad Max type of uh, title or be like, <laughs> come along to this one. But uh, Mad Road was where that was at. So this one... got a very different feel to Mad Max Fury Road, I can tell you that. <laughs> sure does, doesn't it? Um, it was nominated for two awards. Uh, didn't win either. So it was nominated for the Best Motion Picture Made at the Satellite Awards. And it did have a nomination at the South by Southwest Awards for um, the director, John Lee Hancock. Budget. Did you see I, the budget? Um, I did see the budget. Estimated budget of 49 mil. Did you get that same number when uh, you sure. did your internet research? Sure okay. did. What, what, what films have you got that uh, tie in closely with that? 49 mil, obviously a very specific number. Um, but... Uh, Anna Karenina in 2012 and Chappie in 2015, both uh, $49 million films. So this is just so you can get a sense of what you can do with $49 million. But I looked at $50 million because it's obviously a much more common budget. And that's where you're looking at things like Ted and 22 Jump Street and Daddy's Home and Central Intelligence and Anchorman 2, real comedy kind of budget we're sitting at with 40, 50 million. Um, but it also did have The Mule, which I thought was a very good like title uh, in the sense that recent so the budgets are irrelevant uh and it's a similar kind of take on the story uh we bought a zoo moneyball also 50 million dollars two personal favorites of mine so i thought i would just chuck them in there as well the other thing i wanted to mention was because i am not terribly au fait with the bonnie and clyde stories i did want to see any historical inaccuracies that were there and the main ones that came up for me which most of them i get is that manny galt wasn't actually down on his luck or he wasn't an alcoholic he basically never really left law enforcement he was still working steadily as a highway patrol officer at the time of this happening um both hamer and galton never actually had any run-ins with bonnie and clyde so they saw them for the very first time the day that they gunned them down and i totally understand why they would have added this into a film because it's pretty dull if they actually don't ever see bonnie and clyde and it's, it's a whole investigative story about them trying to find them um, there was never actually any evidence to suggest that Bonnie actually committed any murders. And there's a claim that it's unlikely that she never even carried a weapon. So very, very difficult thing to prove, but interestingly that it's out there because we see Bonnie as, you know, killing people in their last, their last breath. And I think it's a, and that's the, the, the myth, I guess, of this actual story is that um, there's this, uh, this story means so much to a lot of people because it's that, that anti-hero sort of story, I guess. And mm. um, there's, there's so much context over what actually happened and whether they, you know, the, the police gave them a real chance or whether they were going to take them captive or whether the, the plan was just to, for that revenge killing all along. And um, I think, yeah, a lot of that that narrative that's happened since the events is, you know, because they, they were so well-loved by the public that, um, you know, they had to be some, you know, you had to have something or, or people needed more evidence to support them why they supported Bonnie and Clyde, I guess, mm. rather than just being like, we supported bad people. No, there's got to be more to it than that. And, and yeah, I, th I think that this point of view of this film obviously pushes it more towards the the police side of things rather than the, the outlaws. 
Yeah, and it has to, I guess. I mean, or else, you know, why are we making this story again? So I totally understand that. The, the final point that I had is, is that Wade McNabb was never involved in this prison break, uh, and he was murdered by someone completely different to Bonnie and Clyde, had no relation to any deals with the law. So this is one piece that they've just completely fabricated. So they've, they've taken a real person who was at jail and who did get murdered, but they just added that to the story. And it was quite a compelling part of the story. So <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed when I found out it wasn't real. But then again, I also totally get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a percentage match for this one. It's the first time in a while. Um, very low though, 60%. Uh, so okay. some, I, I don't think I've had one that low in a long time. So uh, yeah, very, very um, yeah, down. I don't, and we've talked about this before. I don't know why they'd even bother to be like 60% because the animal, you know. Yeah. Wow. We don't want you to watch yeah. our original film, please, Jesse. Yeah, it does, doesn't make sense. Um, should we talk about the consensus now? Yeah, let's do it. Right. So it's uh, it's sitting at a nice a nice 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb off 80,000 ratings. So maybe that 40 million households isn't too far off. And again, we know that not every single person is going to be rating it on IMDb. But, um, so that's a good result. A 3.1 out of 5 on Letterboxd, so a little bit lower, and only 27,500 ratings there as well. So looks like it appeals more to the mainstream cinema audience uh, than the real nuffy movie lovers like yourself and I. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, IMDb, push up me that seven. That's that's big, especially on such high numbers. Um, Rotten Tomatoes had it at 58% from the critics, so, and that was on nearly 140 reviews, so sitting at rotten, unfortunately. Um, but the audience did have it a lot higher as well, had it at 73%. That's on over 1,000, which is pretty high on Rotten Tomatoes. So a bit of a mixed bag. Critics, Results. not so much. General population probably enjoyed this. Film lovers, maybe not as much. I guess that's the, the way we could put it. Good consensus. Good. All right. What are your early thoughts for this one? Then? I was um, surprisingly, I was very quickly drawn into this world, this 1930s America chasing outlaws world that they've not created because it was uh, based on facts. But it, it surprised me that I was so drawn into it. But I think it's because there was just such a comfort to it. The flip side of all that is that it's definitely lacking any real punch. Um, but it was just a really comfortable ride and. You know, sitting on my couch at night and watching two actors who I really like and, and learning bits and pieces about a key moment in, in USA history, it was all right by me. So it, it was a comfortable ride, but it was a pretty good ride for me. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I've seen the, the 60s film um, and there's a couple of miniseries. There was even one like a couple of years ago that um, I've seen about this story. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Bonnie and Clyde um, as well as that knowledge of, of how well-known this story is in America. Um, it's, it's almost like the American version of, of our Ned Kelly, I guess, where you've got this- Massively. That's this what I picked up. <laughs> yeah, you've, got, you've got these characters that robbing from the, the rich, giving to the poor, almost sort of idea, like your Robin Hood style sort of story. And, and I guess that's the same thing with us as Australians, that, that Ned Kelly um, myth is is so important to our culture and, and that idea of- um, mm you know, defeating authority or the underdog or, or you know, overcoming the odds and, and these two, well, obviously, that sort of similar sort of story where they're, they're these underdogs that, um, you know, that were mm. being cheered on by the general public because the public were like, you know, we're sick of these corrupt businesses and governments. Let's let's try and, you know, stand up. And I think I, I just really appreciated seeing this story from the other side because every other version of this story that I've seen is always from Bonnie and Clyde's point of view. So I really enjoyed seeing it from the other side. So yeah, I'm, I, I did enjoy it too. And you have to understand, right, 
and, and it's probably better for you to answer this question because you're more familiar with it than I am, that these people are celebrated. And you're right, it's like Ned Kelly. But these people are celebrated, but they're killing policemen and they're killing a bunch of people. And I, I'm sitting there not knowing much about this going, why are these people so notorious? Why do people like them? Why are people following them? Like I, I, I get the whole, you know, steal from the rich, give to the poor kind of philosophy, but I don't know. There's got to be a level of murder that we don't want to <laughs> condone. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know whether it was done exceptionally well, but like, you know, you did have them when they're riding into town, they're riding into like these almost slum-like villages to sort of highlight that idea that, you know, the banks are taking houses from people, people are, are, are living not as well off because we do get to see the nice houses that um, in particular Frank has, like his place is immaculate. So you yeah. know, there, there is that chance of, of having nice property, having a good place and, and the communities that Bonnie and Clyde are hanging out with and that have been protected by other, other types of people that, you know, are like, these, these people are, are standing up for us. So, yeah, I, I guess that's that. And, and like, yeah, we're, we're probably just going around services. So it's the same as Ned Kelly, you know, they, he did the same thing. He, he attacked yeah, police officers, did, but, yeah. you know, he was still, you know, people hit him, people protected him because, you know, they, they saw him as an outlaw that was doing the right thing um, and, and overcoming that authority. Yeah, you're right. Bang on. All right, characters. Hit us off with a, I don't know, this is going to be interesting because I don't really want to talk about too many others other than our main two highwaymen, but hit us off. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm going to start with Frank only because I feel like I should start with Frank, even though I, I kind of am more interested in Maney, but we'll get to that. Well, so Frank Frank Hamer, played by Kevin Costner, he's a, he's a tough son of a bitch. He believes in justice. And I, I kind of like the fact that he, he feels like he's above the law enough that he can bring the justice himself. It, it, it's more his sense of stopping these people rather than the fact that he was given the job to do so that inspired him to be here. So basically they offered him the job and he was like, yeah, maybe. But then the more he hears about it, the more he's like, nah, something's got to happen here. And it's his own sense of morals and that moral compass of right and wrong. He's so sure in his own mind why he's doing what he's doing. And, and for me, that's a really admirable trait. Um, even if it can be misguided, I totally envy someone who can so strongly rest on their morals and know that internally they're making the right decision for things that can be really sketchy things that they're doing. Um, but I mean, with that, with all that said, he's, he's generally really savvy. He's calculated. He's ice cold when he needs to be. There's a certain kind of breed that can do what he does. And, and I kind of like the backstory of how he was almost murdered himself um, as being a catalyst for basically getting into this line of work. But yeah, he's he's an admirable character for me, but also I can understand why people are against some of the things that he does because he's semi-murderous, but he just backs he backs his own decisions because he know he's got as I said that moral compass of right and wrong and just completely leans on that whenever he makes a decision. Yeah, I I pretty much everything you said I agree because I I think maybe I don't know maybe I felt a little bit more that he wasn't quite ready to give this up yet because and you know his wife was quite understanding with this idea that you know she knew what she got when she married him and um you know he's, he's called back to action it's not like I don't know I, it didn't even seem like that he contemplated not not responding to their call um <laughs> and 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 the parts with these two characters for me in particular and you know he's obviously at this retirement age there's multiple mentions about you know it'd be a shame for someone to get hurt on their way to retirement sort of thing and um i really enjoyed this idea of him being old and um you know not used to where the policing is at at that stage so like the types of guns and and you know we see him do the beat down the old way with this gas station attendant and you know like you mentioned he's been shot multiple times he's done the hard yard so i did like 
and this will probably lead into the, the scenes later on, but I, I really did enjoy that side of things where we could mm. see um, he was old. He, he's, he's experienced and he's done this and, and just that background of, you know, we're trying to, we're, we are meant to be the best, but we're still facing off against all these different ways of, of things are supposed to be done now. Yeah. Still really old school. Hmm. All right, Manny, go for it. Yeah. Look to me, there's, and it's kind of annoying now knowing that the, person in real life wasn't necessarily like this but to me there's a there's a, there's a fascinating exploration um you know in this story for this character he, he's at a point of his life where he's kind of trying to find his worth he, he's potentially trying to define his past actions and really trying to understand what makes or made him really tick and and he admits trepidation around this job when he sort of talks about the fact that i've never shot a girl before i've never shot a man without knowing and that's the kind of stuff that separates us from them it really humanizes him um to the audience but it's also his friendship with frank and his dedication and respect for him that whilst he quite often has different philosophical take on life he trusts and he follows his mate and and you could argue that he doesn't have the strength of character to make his own decisions but i, I like to think that's more or less he weighs it up and that trust and loyalty is arguably what makes him tick more than anything else. And I, I found him quite quite fascinating in a sense. Yeah, I I agree. I think that idea of friendship with him is that, you know, he'll do anything for him. Um, and, you know, I, I think that deep down he still holds these parts of him, or so the parts of, of Frank where he hasn't quite forgiven him for this idea of, you know, um, Frank's more brash and more willing to just go in there and do what needs to be done without thinking things through. And, and that, you know, idea of them killing a whole bunch of people and, and a young kid um, and that whole idea of Manos or Rebos, mm. um, Rebos, whatever it was like, I think that still needs mm. away at him a bit. And, um, but, you know, the eagerness for him to, like you mentioned, because of the friendship, the eagerness of him to wanting to get back in the job because he obviously loves spending time with him. And, you know, they've got these inside jokes. They, they know how each other work. And, and you see throughout the film, like, it doesn't take them an awful long time to get back into their habits of working together and bouncing off each other. And, and, and you know, even though he's got these kids, you can, you can tell that this isn't just about being able to provide for them. And, and obviously, as you mentioned, in real life, he was still working anyway. But um, <laughs> it's, just, it's just nice to see... Um, yeah, and, and I, d I don't think um, you could necessarily say, like, I guess they try to promote it as if this is more Frank's story, but I feel like they're just as, as equal as each other in, in a lot of the, the storytelling mm. for this one. Yeah, I, I agree. They're, they're two great characters. The only other character I do want to talk about is, is Deputy Ted Hinton, who was played by Thomas Mann. I think he's an important character, albeit minor in terms of screen time, but the sense that he has a history with Bonnie and Clyde um, he knew Bonnie and Clyde the people, but not necessarily Bonnie and Clyde the monsters. So not only does his hesitation around killing them make sense, it gives you a tiny insight into why these people had that following. And, and there must have been a certain charm to the work they were doing and a certain charm even to their personalities as a whole. But you get the feeling that Ted, if, if he wasn't coerced by Frank and Maney, he would have probably happily let Bonnie and Clyde continue to do their thing. And this is potentially the sentiment around local law enforcement at the time and why they were just getting away all the time because it took somewhat neutral out-of-towners to bring Bonnie and Clyde to justice. And that was obviously Frank and Maney, but then the uh, the police at Louisiana as well, who were just like, no, screw these guys, let's take them down. So um, I think that Ted kind of encompasses a whole heap of that and, and explains why that was happening at the time. Yeah, um, 
yeah, good point. So I guess I didn't really have much to say about him. Yeah, I just put down um, Mar Ferguson too because I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, you got Kathy Bates in this role and this was the first female governor of, of Texas and she obviously had faith in these guys but also wanted to keep them on this this string just close enough to her so she could keep control of them. And, and um, yeah, if, I'm not going to blurt too much out about it now, but if you're interested in her story, it's quite an interesting story about this idea of the, the highwaymen and the, the Texas police and, and sort of the decommissioning that she did and, um, and things like that. So have a look into her if you're interested. Yeah. Director, Good to know. John Lee Hancock. I just love, um, I love that name because just, um, you know, give us your Hancock. <laughs> I love the, the idea of the history behind his name, but what, what about some of his other work? I've, I've seen quite a bit of his stuff. Oh, look, yeah, he's done a bit of, Bit of writing and a bit of directing. Obviously, famous for directing things like The Rookie, uh, Saving Mr. Banks, The Founder. Also wrote The Blind Side. I think it's fair to say he generally likes spacing himself uh, in nonfiction work. Uh, that seems to be this kind of stories he likes to tell. Yeah, um, and the recent um, The Little Things one with uh, Rami Malek and Denzel. Was it Denzel? I think it was Denzel. Um, I saw it not that long ago. <laughs> It's um, it was one of the HBO, <laughs> one of the HBO films that went straight onto HBO Max oh, and, okay. and hit cinemas yep. um over here. So, um, yeah, that, that's another one of his, which was out of all of them, as you mentioned, is probably the, the one that's actually fiction. Um, but yeah, the the founder is another <laughs> a good one that I thoroughly enjoyed too. If you the McDonald's one, if you haven't seen that one, um, all right, scene time. Talk about some scenes. What are some ones that you liked in this? Yeah, I've actually got a few, so I'll try and roll through them pretty quickly. The scenes that I did like in this movie was the prison break at the start. I thought it set things up really nicely. It was very exciting. I didn't know what was going on, but it was exciting. Um, I'll run through them quickly, as I said. So the, the, when when Frank obviously takes on the job and he says to his wife, I'll come back, it kind of sets it up as, A, something that he always says to her, but also makes you truly understand what's at stake and there's an element of this movie being about Frank's survival uh, against two pretty dangerous outlaws. Um, I mentioned this before when I spoke about Maney, but I love the dialogue of him saying, I've never shot a girl before, I've never shot a man without knowing, and that's what separates us from them. Um, and that's just his, his own moral compass, which I, I really liked. One of my favourite scenes in the film was the scene with Clyde's dad. Um just the mood and the pace and the dialogue of that scene, I was basically just eating up every single word. And obviously we get a really nice backdrop of, of Frank and, and how he got to be who he was, but also just what the side of Clyde's father and what it's like to be the dad of an outlaw who's basically just like, you got to stop him. Like he's trying to justify his actions in a sense, but he's also like, this doesn't end well for him. So yep. um, yeah, I liked just very briefly when Maney was kicking ass in the toilet when the, when the guys, he kind of hadn't showed a sense of him being able to do that, but I think it was cool. I think it was probably more of a Woody Harrelson thing that I liked more than anything else. I loved the scene on the porch after they found McNabb dead with, with Maney really feeling that guilt, basically saying, you know, am I responsible for this? And Frank was just flat out pissed off because these guys are still getting away with it and he's not getting the job done. I think that's the difference between the two of them. Um, really highlighted very clearly in what was another great scene. And then finally, the last thing I liked, which you spoke about briefly before, was the Manos Rebos story. I thought, I thought it was really haunting the way it was told. It was a little more insight into Frank uh, and a little more insight into Maney as well and to why he's there and, and why he follows Frank and respects Frank. But just the juxtaposition of Frank sitting on the porch and the, the guys playing, um, playing poker or whatever they're playing. It just, yeah, there's some great scenes in this movie. I'm like... 
I'm just sitting here going, I also have a whole heap of scenes and not one of ours matched up. So <laughs> it's just amazing that you can have two people that watch a film come out with a whole bunch of scenes and not one of them matched. Um, so All I, right. I'll do the same. Like as soon as I saw Kathy Bates on the screen, to me, I was like, sweet. I'm in. I love this. Love a bit of Kathy Bates. <laughs> That's just a side note. Um, the scene where Frank goes out, uh, gets up early, goes out and shoots the bottles with those kids. Um, you know, it, it highlighted that he'd lost a bit of his swagger. He's lost his ability to, mm. to hit that target. That he, and I really, I really took, took away from that. I was like, okay, this is setting this guy out really well. Um, and then the, another similar sort of thing with this is that, that stakeout where they're watching that kid throwing the bottle over the fence. And the first time they see it happen, they try to chase him. They're too old. They can't do it. And then later on in the scene, we see the same, sorry, later on in the film, we see the same scene play out. You know they've reconnected back together, so they work together to work out. You know we may not be the quickest guys, but we can outsmart this kid. And I really enjoyed that follow through with that. Um, mm. And then another one, the two of them are out at the lake together, um, and then you know there's a sign, and and uh, Manny's shooting at that sign, and he's like, oh, you know, makes a bit of a joke about, you know, oh yeah, I've hit it sort of thing. I had a bit of a laugh, and I just thought that, um, you know, then Frank pulls out his machine gun, and he's like, you know, if you got one for me, I thought it was quite funny, and and also again highlights this, yeah. this this change in these two guys of where they've come from. We're used to using these small little guns to be a part of this and to possibly get what we want out of this. We've got to adapt and change. Um, yeah, <laughs> the, the one of the crime scenes where they're there and. You know the the younger cops are being you know horrible to they're, they're too old past that sort of thing and and man he's walking around you know um, the young <laughs> these young cops and he's playing around with the crime scene and picking up the bullets he's like you already got some bullets I'll take some as well I just you know had, had a good laugh <laughs> but that was cool um, car chase scene where uh, Frank and Manny chase get in that car chase the Bonnie and Clyde and they hit that dirt road I thought that was shot really really well um, the 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 confusion they were able to create with the dust storm and then you know they get out of the mm. car and there's just that desolate space um, I really thought that was a cool shot um, last one um, is this idea too of, of them being friends and that idea that Frank's driving is possibly something that Manny doesn't really like and I like that they, you know he keeps asking can I drive can I drive and then you know that final shot of that near the end is you know Frank gets out and lets Manny drive and it's like Frank's 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 developed he's ready to give up control he's ready to give it up he's, he's done he's, he's fine to, to let go of control and I just really like that too <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I liked that too. That was good. Yeah. Um, anything that you didn't like in this one? Uh, look, there really wasn't. And I'm clutching, clutching at straws to put one one thing in here I didn't like. And I totally understand why it was in there. And I think it should be in there. But I just think it was uh, how it made me feel when I saw it. And that was the final scene when they were parading Bonnie and Clyde's car and the bodies and everyone grabbing at them. I know that's a really important scene because I know it happened. And, and I think... It had to be in the film, but I, it just didn't. It didn't. I didn't sit right with me. I didn't like watching it, so that's the only reason. But I like. I'm clutching at straws with that. That's fair. Yeah, and I'm the same. I do really clutch for this one too. And it's that um, the Manios Rebos scene where I would have liked that earlier in the film. Um, I don't know. I just, I just felt too late in the, the game for me that it had to be right before we're about to see them actually be successful. I just wanted to see that a little bit earlier to see. Like, I don't know. Maybe or not even that it needed to be earlier, maybe some prior knowledge earlier in the film of how these guys knew each other rather than having to wait right to the end to, to sort of hear, you know, of some of their successes, I guess. That's the only, which again is clutching. Yeah, fair enough. Clutch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, are, what are some uh, themes or some ideas in this one? Man, there's so much here that is great to talk about and that's been portrayed really nicely. But basically you've got, 
your own personal sense of duty and justice, and that ties into that moral compass of, of right and wrong, which I spoke about, um, your, your own moral objections to what you're doing and what people are doing and how that ties into what you should be doing. There's a sense of loyalty and trust in friendship, and I think that becomes stronger as the, as the movie goes on. And, and again, that personal sense of worth and what makes you tick, and I think that's true for both characters where Frank's personal sense of worth suggests that these two people cannot keep getting away with it and I've got to do something about it. And, and Maney is trying to figure out what his, what his own sense of worth is. You know, he's obviously not providing at home and, um, and, he, and he's trying to figure out why things were successful for him when he was younger and he sort of has that with his trust and his loyalty. So, yeah, there's, there's so much here. It's, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah, I agree with everything you've said. And this is sort of bleeds in a little bit with what you're talking about, but that idea of age too, that, you know, that they are old men, but they haven't given up on life yet. You know, they, they, they still have more to give and they want to give more. Um, and I think they may mention throughout about this idea of hunger too, if you still got that hunger. And, and, and I think that by the conclusion of this film, and I know, you know, based on this, this narrative as one, I think that hunger has been, um, you know, justified or, or has been, um, you know, been successful for them in, in actually, you know, bringing down these two people that the, the whole of America has been talking about. So, um, and that too, like you mentioned, yeah. that scene of the, the car going through um, the town, like this idea of like celebrity status too, like do, why do we give celebrity status to like these killers? Um, and it's something you've got to contemplate, yeah. I guess, is that, you know, and we've gone through a stage, I guess, with, with true crime documentaries where, you know, people have obsessions with it. Netflix are pumping them out like there's no tomorrow because, you know, people mm. find it engaging. So um, it's something that's obviously been going on for a long time, not just um, the last few years of Netflix. And um, last thing too, this yeah. connection between these two, you mentioned like the friendship and ideas and this idea of perseverance too, the two of them working together, the teamwork. Um, you know, I, I, those scenes that I spoke about were more about yeah, them working each other out again, re- reigniting that flame that they had as a, a partnership, I guess. That's All right. Cool. What did you take away from this one? Well, my main takeaway was that this is as far as I've dived into the Bonnie and Clyde story. I've not seen the 1967 movie, uh, and I know very little else about the story other than the fact that these two were just outlaws on the run. Uh, I didn't know that there was a sense of like a Robin Hood or Ned Kelly to their plight. Uh, I think that kind of get, got missed a little bit in the elevator pitch of Bonnie and Clyde for me, but I, I just enjoyed this first foray into this world, albeit probably a very backdoor entry as it's not really the whole Bonnie and Clyde story and it's not the most told Bonnie and Clyde story, but I, I just enjoyed being introduced to it. I've got, I've got on Blu-ray, if uh, you want to borrow it, the 60s um, oh, version. Well, so, so okay, I just had a look to see if it was on any streaming services, so I might have to do that. I've, um, yeah, well, I get a bit of backstory. I've, I've, uh, we used to work together at a, a retail store and it, it was a bargain bin price there. It's like eight bucks. So, um, yeah, I've got it on Blu-ray. So you're more than welcome to borrow it. <laughs> you got it at Kmart? I did. Uh, I was not naming. Don't want to give any plugs. Um, 20 businesses, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've uh, got it at Kmart. <laughs> okay. Um, for they me, don't like, sell DVDs and Blu-rays anymore, do they? No, nah, not here. No, nah, it's a bit sad. I was very sad yeah. when that happened. Um, I think, yeah, I, and I've mentioned yeah. this throughout the the scenes for me, but I really connected with the idea of age in this one. Um, and, I, and I'm not even as old as the characters that are in this one, but I thought it was done really well. And I, <laughs> and I think it just connected me to the, the two of them on the screen a little bit more, which was nice. Did you jump onto IMDb at all to check anyone out? 
There were two that I did, and both of them just confirmed what I thought. The first one was quite exciting. Is it William Sadler, uh, who played Henry Barrow, so Clyde's dad, is is Hayward from the Shawshank Redemption, and I thought it. I'm like, I reckon. And then, like, the scene would go on. I'm like, oh, no, nah, it's not him. And then I'm like, oh, no, nah, it is him. It is. And then eventually I checked it. I'm like, oh, good. That was a good find. So I was very happy with that one. Um, and the other one was um, the guy who plays Ivy Methvin. So the the guy who helps him at the end with his broken car and basically sells him out. Uh, named W. Early Brown. He's in the movie Draft Day. He's in actually in lots and lots and lots of things, but I recognize him from Draft Day, which is another movie with Kevin Costner. Another movie that we've mentioned multiple times um, on this podcast, Eric. <laughs> multiple times. Um, I didn't have anyone. So, uh, uh, question time. Have you got any questions about this one that you wanted to ask? I have one, and and this is not obviously we know the story, so it doesn't matter as much. But watching this film, did you ever feel like Frank and Manny were in danger? Yeah, true. No, nah, not at all. Not one little bit. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the one thing. Maybe it was missing. It was just like that. They're, they're not nothing's going to happen to them they're fine but they don't even get close to like being in danger yeah that's yeah 100 true there yeah and usually i guess you know in a sort of a some sort of crime sort of or a drama that that's involving police officers you, you they put a family member at risk or they put you know they have an accident or or something's going to happen that goes wrong you usually yeah even most narratives will have a you know you have you, you climb up and down um throughout but yeah, yeah i guess not that yeah good point very good point just wasn't there yeah um so i just want to tell you like why do you think people have such a connection with outlaws that do the wrong thing uh look i think now it's because of the the fact that they're historical figures that we want to learn more about but i think at the time and it's kind of hard for me to empathize with this because times have changed so so much um, that at the time, maybe they weren't that bad what they were doing and what they were doing. People were just looking at the positives of what they were doing and there were just negatives associated with that because of the world they lived in. So it, it has to be something to do with that because you look back on it and go, no, 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 this is not good what they were doing, even though there was good to it. Um, but I mean, it's a different world, right? It's completely different as to how things were, how society was functioning that you just don't know. Um, but now it's like Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah, I'm curious about this. These guys were basically rock stars. Let's let's learn more about them. And you know, their name just stays relevant. Yeah, cool, great answer. Um, I think we're almost ready to wrap this one up. Like, I guess I think we're almost done, which is good. So, at the end, we give the film a rating out of five for a Fitzgerald average. So, MJ finishes off. Yeah, well, sometimes a comfortable ride with some great actors and the story that captures enough interest is just exactly what the doctor ordered. And I never got my blood rush or my adrenaline sore. Like sometimes I would with a great movie experience, but that was okay. Uh, it didn't break the mold and anything that it did, but what it did, it did pretty well. It had really well thought out and developed characters. It kept things pretty explicit. So following the story wasn't a chore. And there was a couple of pretty memorable scenes. So it ensured that I had a very nice experience with the Highwaymen. So it's three and a half stars for me. Nicely put. Yeah. Similar sort of like, like if this was made in the nineties or late eighties, it would have almost had like an award style feel like, you know, two big names, true story, mm. um, well-made, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, the, 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 the look of this film like was for a, a, and you know, sometimes when you're watching this on streaming, it, it doesn't come across as nice, but 
so on the big screen this would have been would have would have really stood out and looked really nice too and i think uh, oh yeah yeah the the character study of these two that you know i knew this event but i didn't know too much about these people so i really appreciate that and thought you know it was, it was well covered and and like i mentioned before that that whole idea about age and and, and seeing these two grow I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it too so three and a half for me too which is a nice nice easy one of a three and a half um we do have socials. We've got Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. Feel free to give us a follow if you can. Um, question that I want to pop up this week is, was the ambush of uh, Bonnie and Clyde more for justice or for revenge um, from the police officers? Was it they were trying to do the right thing or, or doing it because they just were sick of police officers being killed and things like that? Question. I think the movie portrays definitely uh, Frank's perspective being more justice, but there's... But there's a little bit of a fuel from the revenge side of things too. So it's a great question. Yeah, I think, <laughs> it's I think, a great yeah. question. I was going to be like, it's justice, Jesse. But it's maybe, it's, it's, it's a bit both. of both. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly yeah. the line I was going to go with. I think it's for both. So uh, as usual, it's been very good catching up. We'll be back again next week. with a, We're sort of skipping back in time. And it sort of tells us that Netflix uh, sort of didn't get this one right up. And so we should have a good story because it's a 2017 film. Um, it's the fantasy comedy drama called Unicorn Store. It's actually directed and stars Brie Larson. Um, it's got Samuel L. Jackson, Joan Cusack, Bradley Whitford, Karen Sony, Mamudu Athi, Mary Holland, and Hamish Linklater. So a um, bit of a Captain Marvel um, combination here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll definitely be there for that one, Jesse, I promise. Good. good, and it's a bit shorter than this one too, so a good 90-minute runtime, I think, which we got. Yeah, we like that. So um, as usual, been great chatting, and I think we enjoyed this one. Yeah, I think we got lucky with this one. It's a good movie. Well done. And I will see you next week. See you then.